Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. But God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding. His church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life. It's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious. Think well. Advance good. This is Q. William Wilberforce, the great abolitionist who is credited with him and his group, the uh, amazing Clapham Circle of being a part of bringing uh, the slave trade to its knees. But part of what did that was they dared ask a question. Josiah Wedgwood, who was the Queen's Potter, created this medallion. And on this medallion, it said, am I not a brother? This medallion became something that people would wear. It became part of a social movement became a way for people to start conversations with one another. And they dared ask this question that, was a slave equal to everyone else? Happy New Year, and welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons on Faith Radio. I'm Paul Perot. Gabe's not with me in studio this weekend. After all, it's the holiday season, right? But you'll hear a lot from him today. As we flip the calendar this weekend, we want to focus on the annual Culture Summit coming up this spring. Gabe, Rebecca, and the Q team host the Culture Summit every year, inviting various thought leaders and those who are working to make a difference in their communities to speak on a variety of critical issues in our culture. It's hard not to notice, but we've seen heightened tensions around a variety of political and cultural issues. This has caused increased polarization in our society and inside the church. It's gotten increasingly difficult, even dangerous, to have honest discussions, to even ask questions. But Q is about asking questions so we can think well and advance good. As Gabe has told us in the past, Q stands for questions. Critical thinking and finding ways to solve problems requires that you do ask questions. So how do we engage when questions are considered dangerous? Back in 2021, to start the Culture Summit that year, Gabe addressed all attending in person and online with an important talk he called The End of Questions. Let's sit back and listen to that for the next 18 minutes. This has been an unfortunate year to have a brand named Q. Would anybody agree? We started Q Ideas 15 years ago and have always gone by that little Q and we found this year that that became a major problem. People weren't that interested in sharing content from Q Ideas this year because of all that it carried with it. But the Q for us has always stood for questions. We've always wanted to be a place where we didn't just tell you the answers, but we asked questions. We relied on the Socratic method that we wanted to ask questions so that you learned to think. So that you for yourself processed information and weren't just told this is what you have to believe or this is what your opinion must be. This year thinking for ourselves has gotten a little more complicated. Fear comes in and we react, right? Our brains just go into this fight or flight mode. Sometimes we freeze. Critical thinking has been something that's in some ways been pushed to the sidelines. 
But at Q, with the model of staying curious and thinking well and advancing good, I want to bring our attention back to what it might mean for us to think well. 2 Timothy 2.7 says this in the Amplified, For God did not give us the spirit of timidity, and many of your versions say fear. He didn't give us the spirit of cowardice, of craven, of cringing, and fawning fear, but he has given us a spirit of power and of love and of calm and well-balanced mind with discipline and self-control. It's 2 Timothy 2.7. You see, in modern times, I love the C.S. Lewis adage that for every new book you read, you should read an old book. And I've been reading a lot of old books lately. One of those books is this book, um, Francis Schaeffer. It's, it's a trilogy. It's some of his best books. The God Who Is There, Escape From Reason, He Is There and He Is Not Silent. He also wrote this famous book, How Then Shall We Live? And when you read Francis Schaeffer from 50 years ago, what you hear is somebody describing a world that we live in today. What he says is when Christian consensus starts to break down, when the way in which our broader culture did believe. Now it was once this way more in Europe and then in America, it's been this way for many, many decades where Christian belief and moral sort of undergirded the consensus. Then you had a sense of moral order. But when that consensus starts to fade, when that consensus starts to break down, the center can no longer hold. And what comes when the center can no longer hold is there's a need for others to come and hold that center and to start to put in controls and put in ways in which people operate within a system that can work. You see, only 64% of Americans are convinced that God exists. So it's impossible to have a consensus if we don't even understand where our authority comes from. So if only two-thirds of Americans believe there's an authority or a God, and many of those don't necessarily believe that God is our authority, then you can start to understand why things start to break down. And then you go a little bit further and you understand that when that starts to break down, we start to start to find our way towards what is true. And we're not sure who we can trust and we're not sure where to go. There's this word called emotivism, kind of a simple summary of it is that moral truth is not objective, but it's based on feeling, right? This idea that we don't know truth from these objective standards. We don't know truth because of scripture. We know truth because this is how we feel inside. This is what we feel to be true, whether it's true or not. And we live in a culture today where this has become the dominant way for us to know truth is whether I feel like it's true or not. We've removed objective standards. We've pushed those to the side and we've started to really orient ourselves to ourselves. And so whatever I feel is true, that's what stands. Francis Schaeffer said this in a book in 1972. He said, a time is coming when everyone will be wired to a giant computer and the definition of right and wrong will be determined by averages computed at any given time. That's interesting, isn't it? This was 50 years ago. He didn't understand the term artificial intelligence or necessarily know where this was going to go, but there was an understanding of the way the world was going that we would get to a place to where public polling and opinions would start to shape what we believed was actually true. You see, when authority from a transcendent source goes away, when that authority goes away, control starts to come in. There's no question, it has to. Governments start to control. Bureaucrats start to control. Control has to move in to create some sense of order, some sense of security, something that can hold the center together. 
Now, many have written about this historically. Obviously, totalitarianism is something we've heard that term, but here's a couple different definitions for it. Merriam-Webster says it's a political regime based on subordination of the individual to the state and strict control of all aspects of the life and productive capacity of the nation, especially by coercive measures such as censorship and terrorism. Rod Dreher, who wrote the book Live Not By Lies this past year that became a New York Times bestseller, he, he talks about totalitarianism in this way. An all-encompassing ideology that seeks to control not just the actions, but the thoughts of those under its power. He describes our current moment as we're entering a soft totalitarianism. It's not hard. It's not that the government's completely forcing all these things to happen, but from corporations to the media to our education system, you have a soft totalitarianism coming into our midst. You see, when you get to this place where we can no longer ask questions, we get to a place where it's the end of critical thinking. And critical thinking is an essential. It's an essential for every human being, but specifically for believers. We must be the kinds of people that can question things, can test things, are not just driven by our latest emotions or opinions, but we use our brains. We, we use the wiring that God's given us to reason and to be rational and to process information. Martin Luther King Jr. said this about critical thinking. The function of education is to teach one to think intensively and to think critically. The definition of critical thinking, the process of thinking carefully about a subject or idea without allowing feelings or opinions to affect you. So over these next couple of days, that's what we're doing. There's going to be a lot of critical thinking going on. We're going to be asking a lot of questions. We're going to ask questions that some people would say you're not even allowed to ask these days. But we're going to ask them. Because we believe the way we can get to truth, the way we can understand and be informed and think well is we have to pose questions. We have to think critically. To abandon that is to abandon our rich history as a civilization. To abandon the rich history of the Christian church, which plays a significant role in the midst of a society like this one. When you wonder how did critical thinking start to slip, there's these reading charts. Here's one that just shows how much we stopped reading. There's many who have written about the written word and the Typography and how important reading actually becomes to wiring our brains so that we know how to think well. We know how to organize concepts. We know how to put thoughts together. We know how to balance concepts. Neil Postman, in his book, Amusing Ourselves to Death, this book was written in 1984. He says, to engage the written word means to follow a line of thought, which requires considerable powers of classifying, inference-making, and reasoning. It means to uncover lies, confusions, and overgeneralizations, to detect abuses of logic and common sense. It also means to weigh ideas, to compare and contrast assertions, to connect one generalization to another. You see, when we stop reading, we stop knowing how to think well. And in a generation where we've seen reading start to decline, when our reading and attention spans have dropped, when we know that the average person spends 29 minutes reading in a day and 11 of those minutes are on Instagram. Then we're feeding ourselves quick bites of thought, but we're not necessarily learning how to think well. Proverbs says this, the one who states his case first seems right. 
until the other comes and examines him. It also says this verse in Proverbs 14, 15, the simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thoughts to his steps. So this morning, what I want to challenge us to do is to think critically. I want to remind us of what that is, and I want to talk about why it's so important, why it matters, and and what it does for us. There's four things that thinking critically does. The first thing it does is it solves problems, okay? When we think critically, we come up with better solutions. I mean, think about science. Think about physics. Think about, you know, uh, the, the first airplane to fly or all the new inventions that we enjoy every day, the the reason those exist, the reason we enjoy these new technologies was critical thinking. Somebody stopped and said, the way we're doing it doesn't work and we need a better solution. So this is simple. When we think critically, we start to solve problems for our neighbors. But the second thing, when we think critically, you know what that stops? It stops propaganda. Stops propaganda. Now let's talk about what propaganda is. Propaganda is information, especially of a biased or misleading nature, used to promote or publicize a particular political cause or point of view. So anytime information is used to just advance a point of view and to shut down others, that's called propaganda. It's a word we should get familiar with. We, we live with it all the time. We don't always point it out. We don't always recognize it. I thought it'd be helpful maybe to look at an old example of where misinformation on a point of view made a big difference in a lot of people's lives. I go all the way back to uh, 1930 uh, when cigarettes had become a major thing. It was a cultural thing. Everybody's doing it. Everybody should do it. There's no harm to your body. In fact, you look at this ad. This is 1930, a Lucky's ad, and you've got the doctor standing right there. 20,679 physicians say Lucky's are less irritating. It's toasted, right? I don't even know what toasted means. What does that mean? I think if you said that today, it'd be like, yeah, cool. But in 1930, this was the thinking. I remember my parents growing up and experiencing cigarettes. And I remember my grandparents smoking. And this was just the thing everybody did, right? Everybody did it. There was no harm. It wasn't until a Surgeon General's report in 1965 that it was finally declared that smoking was actually harmful to your health. It could cause cancer. That began a process of people starting to learn about cigarettes and nicotine and starting to realize this can cause heart disease. It can cause cancer. That maybe what you've been told for all these years, maybe what's been advertised to you, maybe it isn't all what it was said it was. And so fast forward and... and In 1998, there's this thing called the Truth Campaign. Some of you might remember this, where there was these really clever uh, ad agencies that came together and said, we're going to stop smoking in the lives of children. And they dared ask a question, and it started to begin this process of going after the industry, and now that industry suffered greatly because of it. But the example of when we recognize points of view that are being advanced on us that don't necessarily align with truth, we recognize it. We get creative, we ask questions, and it starts to dismantle everything. The third thing that takes place when we ask questions and we critically think is it literally saves people. It saves lives. Go all the way back to the famous story many of you have heard of William Wilberforce, the great abolitionist who is credited with him and his group, the uh, amazing Clapham Circle of being a part of bringing uh, the slave trade to its knees. But part of what did that was they dared ask a question. 
Josiah Wedgwood, who was the queen's potter, created this medallion. And on this medallion, it said, am I not a brother? You'll see that in just a moment. This medallion became something that people would wear. It became part of a social movement. It became a way for people to start conversations with one another. And they dared ask this question that, was a slave equal to everyone else? Did they not have the same rights? Were they not truly a brother in humankind? They dared ask that question and it completely toppled the entire economy of the British Empire. You see, when we ask questions, when we think critically, when we stop long enough to wonder what is going on here, how should I think well about this? It may not be popular in the moment, but over time, history will reward you. But it begins with us asking questions. It begins with us thinking well. The final thing that critical thinking does is it leads us to truth. It leads us to truth. And as the church, as Christians, we must be those who carry truth right now. We cannot be those that are manipulated by media, manipulated by governments, manipulated to become the puppets of their ideas and everything they want to advance versus what we as the Christian church advance. We are people of scripture. We are people of the word. We stand on truth that surpasses this moment, surpasses this time, will stand the test of time, but that just might require a bit of courage. It may not be popular in the moment to speak truth to those who currently have itching ears and want to hear some other truth, want to hear something that aligns with their personal views, the narrative that they've bought into. But we go back to the word to understand what is true because we know that ultimately sets people free and everything else, everything else enslaves. Schaefer had this idea called antithesis. It wasn't his idea, but he really expressed it clearly. It was the idea that if one thing is true, the opposite has to be false. If A is true, B is false. You can't have both be true. We live in a world that says all this can be true. You can believe a little bit of this, a little bit of that. You can believe a little bit of scripture, but not all of it. And it's created muddled confusion in our churches, which leads to lack of confidence and our shepherds leads to a lack of confidence in the flock, leads to us ignoring things that need to be addressed and rebuked. And we're at a moment in time where we can do that no more, church. It's time that we move forward in confidence and boldness and courage. Rod Dreher writes this in Live Not By Lies. Once you perceive how the system runs on lies, stand as firmly as you can on what you know to be true and real when confronted by those lies. Refuse to let the media and institution propagandize your children. Teach them how to identify lies and to refuse them. Do your best not to be party to the lie, not for the sake of professional advantage, personal status, or any other reason. 2 Timothy 3, 7 says this, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. We're in an age where we have more information than ever, more learning than ever, more podcasts than ever, more teaching than ever, more books than ever, more Q talks than ever. And it's a danger if we don't get to the knowledge of the truth. Over these couple days, I hope we get to the knowledge of truth. Because when we get to that knowledge, we'll start to have a courage and a boldness like Timothy. Have you read the letters from Paul to Timothy, this young man? So many of you in this room are younger. You're being mentored, you're being encouraged. And Paul's writing these letters to Timothy and he encourages them just like that first verse like don't have a spirit of fear don't let that overtake you be somebody who's bold and has a sound mind do you know how 
Do you know how he dies? How Timothy dies at the age of 80 years old? He dies standing in the middle of the street as a parade for the goddess Diana is coming down the center of the street and he dares stand in the middle of that street and confronts this pagan worship. And at 80 years old, he's dragged out of the street and stoned to death. Imagine an 80-year-old man being stoned to death in a society. What society does that to an 80-year-old man? It's one that's convicted by the boldness and the courage and the strength of a saint who decided it wasn't just enough to confront things in the church, but he also needed to go to the street. He needed to go to the public square and confront things that were overtaking that society. So over these next couple of days, as we dig into questions, as we talk about issues that are concerning, as we talk about controversial topics, you're gonna be uncomfortable but we're not gonna shade away from asking the questions. This is Q Ideas, and that was Gabe Lyons in his opening talk during the Culture Summit in 2021, a message he called the end of questions. And as you heard, even though some are scared to ask questions, Gabe and the speakers and the participants during the Culture Summits, that and every year do ask questions, lots of questions. Even though some of those questions are very hard, That means a lot of difficult listening, too, as various viewpoints are brought up. But we need to get used to hard. We need to not lose hope as well. In fact, in fact, one of the conversations during the Culture Summit in 2021 featured Pastor Matt Chandler of Village Church in Dallas, as well as Bible teacher Jada Edwards. They, along with Gabe, talked about our cultural moment. But then as they both looked at the book of Revelation... They found a call to hope and faithfulness even in these hard times. Here's just a couple of excerpts from their conversation. Talk to us a little bit about what that's been like for you to get into Revelation. Yeah, man, I love this book. It might be my favorite book of the Bible. Like, I'm trying to tell anyone who will listen right now, like anyone who will listen, that this is our moment. Like, we're built for, the Church of Jesus Christ is built for this. Like, the darker it gets, the nastier it looks, the more confusing it is, that's our moment. Hmm. And and so, man, I almost went frothy Pentecostal listening to John and Carl. I almost did a lap in this room (laughs) uh, because they're saying it. And I want people to know it. And Revelation shows you it's true. Yeah. No, no matter what's happened historically, no matter what's... I mean, people forget, 96 AD, that's when Revelation's written, Domitian's the emperor of Rome. He's saying, if you don't worship me as God, but right, you, you've got to travel, you've got to pinch incense, you've got to throw it on the altar, you've got to say, Caesar is Lord, which is why that Jesus is Lord was such a political statement. That felt like a and, surveillance and, state. Right? And here we are. Like, like, here we are. Where's Rome? Well, you can pay 20 bucks and walk through their ruins. We're worshiping Jesus in Nashville, coming from all over the place. So that's what I'm trying to say. Like, like we were built for this. And so with all the deconstruction talk and all the, oh, look at our dwindling numbers and all the, I'm just like, no, no, this, it's our time. Mm. If the church would stop backpedaling, right? We're not in bondage with our stuff being plundered. According to the text, Satan's locked up and we're plundering his stuff and we're part of that plunder. And so I'm trying to tell anyone who will listen that it's time. Everybody thought they were living in the end times. So, and I wonder how does that help us? I mean, for those who are like, man, Jesus is coming back. 
in the next decade or or he's coming back tomorrow. I mean, there's something about living in that way yeah. that was God's design. Absolutely. That's why we I, don't know. I think that urgency is intentional. Right? Absolutely it's, it is. It's the whole thing. Help us to number our days. Your life is but a vapor. Mm. Talking to the bridesmaids. Keep your lamps trained. You don't know. No man knows the day or the hour. There's this thing that God wants us to like be in this tension. Not to the point of paral- paralyzing where we're not effective, but he wants us to have a constant awareness because you do things when you feel urgent. You Absolutely. know, It's like when you oversleep and it's brighter outside than it should be. You're like, yeah. what day is today? Where am I supposed to be? Like, I mean, your, your mind starts working on overdrive because you're like, where am I supposed to be? It's lighter than it should be. And, and that's what it is. It's like, you know, Paul is talking about this same thing. Our salvation is nearer in Romans 13 than it was mm-hmm. when we first believed. That's right. Listen, there's light coming, right? And God Absolutely. is like, that means something. Yeah. You better constantly assess where you're supposed to be, what you're supposed to be doing. He wants us to have that urgency. Mm-hmm. And I think the urgency is not just activity, but it's also digging in deep into the scripture we have. That's right. And revelation refers to almost every Old Testament book. Matt probably knows oh, exactly how many. It is. <laughs> I mean, and so if you try to read it in isolation, that's another reason people get in trouble. If, you, if you're understanding what God is saying throughout the story of the Bible, you're like, oh man, he actually is bringing these things together. Yeah. But I think the urgency is not just busyness, it's depth of knowing what that's truth right. is so that when things are coming at us that look truth adjacent or truth like, yeah. we're able to speak with those, speak into those things with clarity. that again was Gabe talking with Pastor Matt Chandler and Bible teacher Jada Edwards, one of the main talks from the 2021 Culture Summit. Now, if you've ever been part of a Culture Summit, either in person or virtually, you know what a thought-provoking and encouraging time they can be. Well, plans are in the works for the 2023 Culture Summit in Nashville, April 27th and 28th. Along with Gabe Lines addressing the topic of understanding the times we live in, and his wife Rebecca talking about embracing adversity, a lot of great talks have already been planned, like Oskin is answering the question, is patriotism good? Plus talks about building family economies, the idols of productivity, and so much more, all with this year's goal of building resilient communities. Learn more and register now at qideas.org slash 2023. Again, qideas.org slash 2023. I'm Paul Perot. Happy New Year, and thank you again for listening to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Blessings. We hope you listen again next week. This show is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.